Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. By no means is the target unmanned autonomous operations, whatever that means since we haven't agreed on the terminology yet, uh, but an autonomous ship within IMO legislation and Colrex cannot exist at all without this having been solved and There is a huge, huge opportunity for young people in this to get into a career that would be, is, would be a, you know, a fascinating career to get into. It's a new avenue into maritime, which would provide perhaps a similar appetite to get involved in for both men and women. And there's, so there's a, there's a, this is kind of there's a gender equality issue to it as well, and as well, I think there are other opportunities from other people in other sectors who may not have considered career maritime before, such as those, you know, those not perhaps seen as physically able to be able to perform like this. You know, it's not mandatory to to fit a, a wheelchair ramp on a ship necessarily, but it will be on a remote operation centre. Hello and welcome to the Aronex Show. This is a podcast looking at the shipping and maritime space. I'm Craig Eason and I own and edit the Fathom World News site focused on the changing aspects of our industry. I'll tell you something briefly about myself. I'm an ex-seafarer that worked as a navigating officer and deck officer deep sea on the bridge of many different ships and it was a career that I was and still am proud of, even if I didn't do what so many of my fellow apprenticeship friends did at the time and go on to become master mariners. I chose a journalism career instead. Over the years, the role of the mariner has changed. You can see many articles on Fathom World and find episodes of the Aronex show about this transformation as new levels of connectivity and technology have developed. Society itself is trying to tackle this change too, and we have a range of discussions in many corners of our industries about autonomy, autonomous systems and so on. Now I've often railed against the headlines that state that fleets of ghost ships are coming. These are sensationalist headlines. Reality, however, has never got in the way of a good headline. But having said that, the way technology is going and with the discussions at the International Maritime Organization on which regulations prohibit their appearance, we know that things are changing. What is happening though is technology is creating a new dynamic on board ships. And yes, they may coalesce into increased autonomy and even unmanned ships in some corners in the future. But today, on this episode of the Aronax Show, I want to look at two things that are happening that are more immediate next steps. Two things are happening on the regulatory front now that I think make a big difference. The first is a pair of submissions that are going into the regulatory body, the International Maritime Organization, that is asking it to consider the idea of an electronic lookout function, something that those supporting the idea believe is a required part of having periodically unmanned ship bridges. And the word periodically is important here. The proposal has a lot to do with all-round video cameras and elephant ears on a ship. More on that later. My cadetship was in the 1980s. It involved learning Morse code and how to use Decker and even something called Loran C. I remember being sat in a former World War military bunker-style building in Plymouth, England, looking at the swirling green radar screens and a Decker chart with its multicoloured tram lines, and yes, learning how to use the sextant. But some or all of that is history. Today's apprenticeship in the UK still have to learn about seafaring and some of the skills of electronic navigation. But it's getting even more complicated. 
And now there's the growing awareness of autonomy. So how do we get kids to leave school and join an industry which on the one hand has been quite an unpopular choice in recent years, but on the other hand has got a great potential to be different? In the UK, a group has come together to look at how an apprenticeship can be developed that caters for this. It looks at the development of a new type of apprenticeship, bearing in mind the increased amount of autonomy that is appearing in civilian and naval craft. That's not just autonomy on the ship for onboard crew, but also remote operations. The group was announced earlier this year and consists of the UK's Royal Navy, the geodata company Fuguru, the UK's National Oceanography Centre, a marine robotics company called Ocean Infinity, and it's being chaired by a UK advanced training business called Seabot XR. Gordon Meadow is CEO of Seabot XR, and he told me about the plans and why he sees them as being important. The apprenticeship is response to an industry need. Operators want to resp- operate in a, in a responsible way, and they have a workforce that has been built of experience at sea and they're now being, I guess, given the opportunity to use autonomous, more autonomous systems and, and, and new ways of working. So there's a gap, and there's a, this this apprenticeship will look towards identifying that skills gap, mapping those competencies, and creating a, a a a new workforce with more enhanced skills. But this is simply about training the people who are going to be operating vessels today, not about the future, not about you know sort of this kind of a fanciful idea that that. You know, all ships will be autonomous for the next kind of ten years. This is this is simply about taking a responsible approach to the migration of the workforce, and the workforce is underpinned by seafaring and SCW qualifications. That's that really that's paramount that experience. Now, projecting forward 30, 40, 50 years, any occupation will will change. You know, any occupation will change. Will you need to have gone to sea in fifty years' time? Who, who knows. Um, but but for the time being, the key migration is is of this is is the current and existing maritime workforce and that knowledge that needs to come with it that that experiential knowledge. Now, autonomous craft that this apprenticeship group are looking at are up to about 24 metres in length at the moment, but there are plans to go bigger, with Ocean Infinity, one of the partners in the project, looking at 70 metre vessels already. This apprenticeship looks at it from an operational point of view, from how you control these vessels, how you maintain them, and any maintenance issues, etc. But it's important to realise that this programme to develop an apprenticeship is not about international shipping. That requires, as Gordon Meadow says, work at the IMO on seafarer training requirements. Many people agree that they need updating. But it would be an enormous task as any changes need to encompass shipping for today as well as for the future and everywhere else in the world. This UK apprenticeship isn't it's, it isn't based on, on developing international standards for around the world. This is responding to responsible operators operating their craft in, U, in and around UK waters and, 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 and more broadly. There, but this will capture the operators requirements which we can then feed back up through the system the legs of the maritime Agency, and say look actually these are the competencies that we've identified through this group now there's also a, a top-down approach where the mass people group was launched where CBXR Fugu and the maritime Coast Agency were founder members um, that group consists of a number of flag states which are increasing um, increasing by the day which um, We'll look at the the standards required 
internationally to try and benchmark those standards and then share those standards and create those standards and then create recommendations to to go to IMO and say, look, this these are the recommendations we think that should be added in terms of competencies to SCW. In my interview with Gordon Meadow, he kept the focus on people and the need to ensure it's about skills, not systems, robots or software. In his opinion, we all need to challenge a rhetoric that machines are good and humans are bad. Seafaring skills remain as crucial as ever, he says. But it is about migration of the workforce, about writing down the new skills that both existing seafarers and new seafarers will need. Is this about the migration of the workforce? Yes, it is. Are there new skills wrapped up in this that the existing seafarers will need to be to be trained in? Yes, there are. Um, that's being looked at to some extent separately uh, by Maritime UK, the MNTB, and so on, and the the the, uh, the Maritime Skills Commission. We're interested in looking at a, a particular new developing occupation, um, which which is is quite a sexy occupation. Um, I think you know. I think I, I have always found it to my to my amazement that that the the there's this sea blindness, and I think I think they're really trying to make an effort, or we're really trying to make an effort in the UK to be able to remove this sea blindness and, and make the industry more attractive to young people and and help them to help them to realise that it's there and that it has huge potential and huge huge opportunity for careers. I know that one champion. One person showing this is Sarah Kenny from BMT, and uh, she's really trying to shine the light, shine the light on this. So for me, there is a huge, huge opportunity for young people in this to get into a career that would be is would be a you know a fascinating career to get into. It's a new avenue into maritime, which would provide perhaps a similar appetite to get involved in for both men and women. And there's so there's a there's a this is kind of there's a gender equality issue to it as well, and as well, I think there are other opportunities from other people in other sectors who may not have considered career maritime before, such as those, you know, those not perhaps seen as physically able to be able to perform like this. You know, it's not mandatory to to fit a, a wheelchair ramp on a ship necessarily, but it will be on a remote operation centre. So there there are lots of opportunities for new entrants into it, and I think with some of the the underlying skill requirements that you will need as remote operation centres move forward and the complexity of them it will attract other people in the industry and will there be jobs? Yes there are because there's already a massive shortage in the industry of seafarers as we as, as we well know so will there be jobs going forward? Absolutely Gordon Meadow from Seabot XR on the evolution of the seafarer and a new breed of people who will need to work in operation centres ones who will not necessarily need to walk the decks of a ship but Wild Meadow says these UK initiatives on training and apprenticeship are focused on a new generation, there are still the existing workforce at sea, those spending months on end on a ship. Those on a bridge watch spend these months with a broken sleep pattern. Four hour bridge watches once every 12 hours with other duties is expected to be completed in between. And this is where the idea of a bridge zero function first materialised. Yes, it could be seen as a step towards unmanned ships, but it has its initial purpose on welfare and safety. It is the idea that under certain times a bridge could be left unmanned while the vessel is underway. These conditions would have to be very specific, clear visibility, good weather, zero traffic in the proximity, etc. Now, to allow that situation to be permitted, the IMO is being asked to accept technology as a suitable replacement for the eyes and ears of the watch officer or the watchkeeper. 
A proposal is going to come from the European Union into the IMO's Maritime Safety Committee, but the idea has been developed in Finland. One of the proponents for a bridge zero notation is Iro Letavara, who's head of regulatory affairs at engineering firm ABB. I've spoken to Iro, a former maritime officer and captain, many times in the years as the ideas for autonomy have developed, looking at how digitalization and autonomy can increase safety for those on board as opposed to the idea of taking people off the ship. It's an important distinction for Eero and it helps frame our discussion. Is digitalization and autonomy about unmanned ships per se, or about increased safety and welfare for those working on the ships? If we are starting to to do something that will, even at some level, substitute the human, uh, even if it's for, for shorter period of time, we need to be, first of all, we need to be sure that, that we are right, that, that it's actually better. Uh, but then we know that, that that there's something we call the social license to, to, to operate, meaning that you and I, when we see technology, we expect that technology to be way better than what we can do. And, and there's this kind of expectation, meaning also that on a modern day cruiser or, or car carrier, you could say that you don't have the best visibility straight behind you. There will be an expectation of a full coverage of 360 degrees and a continuous scan and so on. We also learned, and, and this is obviously something where we talk about scientific research that is far outside of our area of competence. Uh, I mean, uh, ophthalmologists uh, who research the eye and, and so on. So, so we used material that, that we can find on the subject. And, and it was quite interesting in the sense that, first of all, if we are focusing on the eye somewhere, we physically tend to lose everything around us. And, and, and you can only focus, uh, I mean, if you're focusing somewhere far, then you tend to lose things that are happening close and vice versa and so on. Also, if you're focusing on a point far ahead, you not only lose movement and, and, and seeing on the peripherics, but that you're very early also starting to lose colors, which was news for me. Meaning that if you have a theoretical situation where you have a ship coming against uh, ahead of you, or, or, or you're in a collision course head to head, you focus on that ship, that means that, that you stop seeing things around you. Obviously, with machine uh, and, and machines doing that, you would not have that issue because they would monitor continuously around you. And this is where the elephant ears and the Snellen chart, you know it as the pyramid of letters at the opticians that decrease in size as you read down, come into it. For an optician, a person with normal eyesight has an 8 on the Snellen chart and a seafarer must pass an eye test and get more than 5. Hearing is also a required test. Now, hearing is one area where the regulations already allow for technology. The elephant ears. Quite a few ships are built today with totally enclosed bridges. That means the bridge wings are not out in the open. One of the requirements under international rules is for ships to have specific audio signals, such as in fog, and an officer of the watchkeeper in a totally enclosed bridge will be unable to hear those signals or other signals from buoys or navigation instruments. Hence the development of a technology that is basically a microphone outdoors feeding into a speaker or alarm system indoors. 
Iroletavara points to this as a first step in how the electronic lookout function could work, as this and the required cameras that would point all round a vessel could be coupled to a system capable of recognition that there is something there and then sounding an alarm. We talk about three different levels or stages, uh, uh, what they are calling the DRI, the detection, recognition and identification. And what we presented in the electronic lookout function is, is really the D part, detection. So, so the aim is to detect that there's something else outside than water, period. Uh, in its lowest level, that will make an alarm and someone, a human, will come up and, 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 and make the recognition and the identification and after that the decisions. I mean, at this stage, I would say that, that machines are better today at detecting than people are but people are way better in recognition than the machines are today and able to make conclusions and take that further into the decisions and then actions. So obviously we see that, that if you're ever going to have an unmanned ship, they need to be able to do all of these uh, uh, based on the first detection. What is it, what it's going to be doing, how is that reflected into colorags and, and so on and so on but at its lowest level, uh, in order to, to be able to fulfill the requirements of B0, just detection is enough. If we can detect that there are things there, then we get the alarm and somebody's coming to the bridge and then we may be able to, to make the necessary, the right decisions then. Iroletavara on the possible way a manned ship could occasionally sail with an electronic lookout function allowing for a bridge or wheelhouse to be periodically unmanned while the watchkeeper and officer of the watch do other things. While this potential work at the IMO on the electronic lookout function may be for a standalone alarm system connected to the officer of the watch who remains on standby should an alarm sound, there is no doubt that this function could be connected to other bridge technology. In its simplest form, it's a series of high-resolution cameras giving an overlapping 360-degree coverage of a ship, potentially as far as the horizon. Going forward, this can be part of a further digitalization of a ship to give even greater situational awareness, with the lookout function an integral part of a digital sensing brain, also linked to the radar, GPS, electronic displays and charts, as well as any other systems. There are already smaller vessels doing this and one just has to look at the Mayflower project with its IBM brain inside it to find an example. Now, we've just got time for a catch up with other news in the shipping and maritime space with our regular update from Nick Chubb from Thetius. Thanks, Craig. The big news this week is that satellite AIS provider Orbcom has entered into an acquisition agreement with private equity firm GI Partners. The all-cash transaction values Orbcom at around $1.1 billion. Founded in 2001, GI Partners is a private investment firm based, based in San Francisco. The firm has raised over $26 billion in capital over the last two decades, and they invest in private equity, real estate, and data infrastructure opportunities. This Orbcom deal falls under the data infrastructure team who invests in hard asset infrastructure, uh, underpinning the digital economy. The investment will support Orbcom's development in the industrial IoT sector uh, and increase their investment in sales, marketing, and technology innovation. In the last week, Hyundai Heavy Industries has announced that it will be launching a new division centered on hydrogen as a fuel. 
Rather than just focusing purely on hydrogen propulsion systems, though, the business is aimed at being an integrated unit, covering the full value chain of production, transport, sales, and marketing for the emerging fuel. The first project as part of the new unit is a deal between Hyundai Oil Bank and Saudi Aramco for the joint development of blue hydrogen production from LPG. Coupled with carbon capture, the project will produce a low emission supply of hydrogen. The CO2 that's produced will be shipped back to Saudi Arabia, where it will be used in oil production facilities. Lastly this week, over in China, the blockchain-powered Global Shipping Business Network, or GSBN, has signed an MOU with Bank of China to integrate digital trade financing into the supply chain data exchange platform. The deal will allow Bank of China to obtain relevant cargo information directly from GSBN members based on shipping document serial numbers for trade finance applications. This eliminates the need for paper cargo receipts to be provided for verification, increasing the efficiency of trade finance authentication checks. Dick Chubb from Thetius with some of the other news in shipping. So that's it for this episode of the Aeronex Show. Please help me spread the word about this podcast if you like it, and I hope you do. Please also subscribe and visit the Fathom World website where we have an occasional newsletter going out with some of the latest news and announcements from around the industry. We'll be back next week with more updates on the transformation of the shipping maritime and ocean space. Until then, goodbye.